Welcome to Curva Mundial. Welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. Today, my guest on Curva Mundial is someone who proves that hard work and determination can make your dreams come true. Soccer writer and Club America, Arsenal, and Mexican national team fan, Amy Lopez. Thank you for joining me, Amy. Hey, Sal. It's great to be part of this. I'm super psyched. Uh, you know, we've had a chance to speak a few times off air. So definitely excited to, to be one of the uh, honorable first guests of this, of this very cool pod you got going on. So we have so much to cover. Let's jump right in. You're speaking to me from the West Coast. I and, am. And tell me your story and connection to the beautiful game, because it is something that, I mean, it, it, it's, so, it's so American, and also at the same time, so like what makes what makes fans of this game so amazing and so great because it's so global at the same time. Yeah, of course. So um, like Sal mentioned, I am Mexican-American born here. My both my parents were born in Mexico. Um, so as it goes, when it comes to the global game of soccer, you kind of just born with it um, in many respects. So uh, one of the first memories I have is actually um, going to see my dad play as goalie and he always liked to have us behind the goal which I think in retrospect was probably not safe because we were very small children but um you know it, it kind of just started there and um I'm the only girl from four, from four children I have three brothers but that was what kind of tied us together and what still continues to tie us together is this love of of soccer and um, being able to watch it we all kind of go for the same teams we don't root for anybody else differently so that also like you know kind of ties us together and makes us makes us stronger you know in the good and the bad we just we just we just there whether in person or through text messages or or what have you but the biggest obviously cornerstone for us is the Mexican national team always you said all of y'all cheer for the same teams which to me is amazing because I come from a long line of Juventus supporters in my family and I'm the outcast AC Milan fan and I kind of I still think yeah I still think that that is a bold thing of you to do like I know you're like we talked about it a little bit before we we got on this pod and I just think I can't even imagine like having a family member that I am very close to right like like maybe maybe extended family okay do your thing it's it's all good but like if my brother came to me one day and was like I'm a full-on Spurs fan. I would probably like feel very disconnected and disappointed in a lot of ways. So to me, it's it's astonishing and beautiful that your whole family are all just tied together with with the team. So how did that that fandom come about? Yeah. So Mexican national team, obviously, it's just there. It, you know, it's it's deeply rooted in our in our DNA. Um, LA Galaxy here in in LA because I mean it was the only team around. I mean that that's not the only reason, right? But it was it was very much ge- ge- geographical that way. It was the only team around here. It was the only place we can go pl- uh, watch games um, at the time growing up. You know, now obviously there's LAFC and there's a there's another level of kind of like Latin American, Central American, Mexican American connection there too. And of course it's in downtown. But that was kind of where it. it came and kind of stuck Club America my dad's an America fan so we stuck with that as well um and then for I think for America specifically they're the winningest team in Liga MX in the Mexican right. league so there's like that level of just like real honor in going for them um and stuff but yeah and then Arsenal Arsenal is a very much like we're talking about siblings and that connection very much came from my older brother um, you know, we, I think we talked about this during our call, you know, we, I kind of just woke up one day and I was very aware of the fact that I didn't know where that fandom came from. I was just like, I, I've just been rooting for them for the last couple of years. And I have no idea why I just know it was because of my older brother, Mikey. So one day we were sitting down, maybe like two years ago, I want to say, and I just kind of stared at him and I was like, why are we Arsenal fans? Like, I don't mind it. I, I love being an Arsenal fan, but like, why are we? And he said that, um, I can't remember the year, but um, in, for any of you guys who actually know soccer, this is a Arsenal being in Champions League. So it's been quite some time, um, but Arsenal was facing Barca. I think they went on to win the game 2-1 or something like that. But he watched it um, and he said that he felt the level of like elation he felt watching them play. And even though he didn't like necessarily root for them a bunch in the moment, but after that game, he felt tied to them the way that he feels with the Mexican national team. And so from that point forward, he bought some jerseys, 
obviously us as his younger siblings saw him with the jerseys. Hey, who's that? We started watching games together and, you know, I kind of just went from there. Now we're, now we're full on Arsenal fans. And I always find it funny because I, you know, my brother saw them in Champions League. And so he got to see kind of like that era of things, but this is post Invincibles. So I've, I've always said that I'm like part of the banter era of Arsenal fans. So I only know suffering. So I don't know what true honest winning is all about and I'm excited to get to that point in my fandom but it is definitely a little disconnect with like super hardcore Arsenal fans that are like dream of those moments of like remember when we were the best I'm like no I don't but I want I would like to get there at some point so I appreciate that honesty because a lot of people would just ride on the fact that you know, yeah, I love Arsenal. I'm a Gunners fan. And uh, yeah, of course I remember the Invincibles, you know, it's like the best. And I mean, I don't thought- get me wrong. I've seen YouTube videos and I'm like, that is such a, like, I can get, you know, I can get like their feelings of like massive disappointment. You know what I mean? Like I can, I understand that from like a third person kind of point of view, but I don't feel that personally. So I go, man, it, it must, it, it probably is something significant to be at the top and then just you know, go, go to the bottom. Cause I, like I mentioned earlier, like with America being such a huge team and they've never really been like terribly bad in the Mexican league, but it, and it would kind of almost be that way. Like all of a sudden they were like close to getting relegated or they were just like in a horrible place. Like I can't imagine what that would feel like in that sense. I mean, I think I've kind of gone with, gone through that with like galaxy too, because obviously they're also the winningest team in MLS and the last couple of years haven't been nice to them, but it's something very special with Arsenal fans that I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine. Well, the thing about Galaxy, which I find interesting, is that like, okay, sure, maybe in the last couple of years, they haven't been up to snuff as they should be, right? But this was the team that brought on David Beckham. This was the team that brought on... Oh, for sure. Keen. Like, this was the team that really reinvented MLS every time MLS has gone through a reinvention. So, it's- Yeah, I think what's interesting about Galaxy is like you said, right? Like, it's hard to not it's hard to take away that aspect of their significance in the league and then to try to like demoralize them in that sense, but to kind of give, I guess the outsiders like the benefit of the doubt or like in their defense, I think the rest of the league is just kind of speeding up so gradually, you know, or it's like, it's, it's very significant what other teams have done in this like post Beckham era, if you will. Right. Or like even post Donovan era, um, you know, from the very last time they were able to win a trophy in 2014. So within almost, you know, the last 10 years, I wouldn't say they're irrelevant because they still end up being that team, right? Slatan was there and, and, and was doing Chicharitos over there right now. But I think there is something in the current landscape that we live in when it comes to whether that's the digital era or obviously social media or just the way that other teams play, that that's where you kind of go, okay we need to pick it up some way because I, I think even some of the most very notable galaxy journalists I've been following the team for a lot of years go, there is a, there is this risk of slowly becoming irrelevant because you are the top team, but how long will that, will that, will that legacy still live when we're getting past that point of, you know, like novelty, if you will. No, that's a good point. You know, the interesting thing here with MLS is that it becomes almost topsy turvy every season. And that's not to that's not yeah. to that's not to say anything terrible about MLS because what they are doing is something it's not a farmers league and it's not a retirement league anymore. It's not the league that you go to and say, like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple pints, play my game, collect my paycheck, and um, I'm just going to be remembered for playing in whatever team in Europe. You know, Gonzalo Iguain who you could say whatever you want about him is struggling at Inter Miami. And even admitted that, you know what, I thought when I was going to come over here, it was going to be a, you know, walk in the park and realizing it takes a little bit more work to, to play in this league. I think it's because the league, and I think you and I are kind of in this, correct me if I'm wrong. So I think you and I are in a position where we watch other leagues and I know everybody else does too. Right. But our kind of admittance into soccer is from a non-American standpoint, if you will. Right. So I think the interesting thing about watching the MLS is that, you know, you can disagree with me. Is like it almost feels like they have no identity kind of thing. They're still trying to figure out what their identity is. There's an assumption of what that identity is. And I think that's when you get players like you going that go, man, I thought this was going to be easy. And it's a little bit hard because it's such a, it, you know, like some people embrace it. Some people don't. 
and some people get mad, but it's like just, it is a very chaotic league. And I think it really needs to sell that point instead of trying to be this like super serious league. And that's not to diminish like what you get sometimes. Cause you do, you do get some pretty exciting games in the league, but you know, it's like, they can't like make a joke about themselves. Like they want to be taken so seriously. I, you know, I applaud you for making that point because it's, I could not agree more. And I've seen it over the years. You know, I'm, I've been spoiled here in New York. I have two great teams or, you know, however you want to look at it, but superstars come to the, we, you and I live in big markets. Let's put it this way. So yeah. superstars are going to want to come here. You know, when I would go to NYCFC games in that inaugural season and the crowd would boo Andrea Pirlo, who is unquestionably my favorite player of all time, I literally wanted to inst- to start a riot because you don't boo that man. <laughs> also, you you're watching them play at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> yes, that's it. You know, it's like you don't boo Frank Lampard because he had a stretch of bad games. You know, you have to understand something. As you just said, for these guys coming here, this was not, this was, you know, it's a scratch in the head. Like, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be easy. You know, David Villa, yes, took it serious. Zlatan Ibrahimovic took it serious. But Zlatan's always going to take it serious. And Villa's going to take it serious. Lampard and Pirlo, they're going to be like Iguain in the sense that, hey, you know, this was cool, but I just really wanted a new adventure and experience and just a way to make some quick cash. Whereas there was a point where when those guys were playing at NYCFC, their biggest rival was obviously the Red Bulls, but in the post Thierry Henry world, which was phenomenal watching Thierry Henry for like 12 bucks every weekend. But you had Sebastian Giovinco destroying the league in Toronto. And it was amazing watching the atomic ant, if you will, just doing his thing and creating an identity in Toronto. And then Atlanta United comes after or around the time Giovinco says, yo, I'm going to hang up my boots here in America. I want a new adventure. And Atlanta United took up the reins of what Toronto was doing. This fast paced breakneck. I'm going to strangle and suffocate the defense of the opposition. And that and Tata Martino brings them to the championship and wins in their inaugural season. They haven't been able to replicate that. But as you said, they're the prime example of the chaos of what MLS is, you know, Orlando for all of the money that they've spent with Kaká and Nocharino, and now they have Pato. They're not, they're filling seats. Yes, of course, with these amazing icons and legends, but they're not doing what they're supposed to similar to Inter Miami now. And of course, Inter is in their like first season, second season, really. Um, First season was disrupted because of COVID, I suppose, but you know, they're doing things now that are, not what Atlanta did. And Atlanta really took that, we're going to embrace this, do it. But they became sort of this bizarre symbol for the rest of the league. Am I wrong on that? No, not at all. I mean, I think I was actually going to say that I think that that's, there was a close level from LAFC to reach that Atlanta kind of stature as an, as a debut team, but they just couldn't figure it out you know, in the playoffs, but the way that they also kind of started, whether it was their marketing or their own embrace towards soccer code, because Atlanta, I've been to Atlanta, I think about three times now. I love the soccer culture down there in Atlanta. It's so amazing. It's so authentic. It's so pure. It's so beautiful. Like even, even some of the Uber drivers will be like, I don't understand it, but everybody shows up to Mercedes-Benz stadium. Everybody's ready to go and support Atlanta United, no matter what, you know, and there were some brilliant, um, you know, coverage packages done by, you know, RIP Copa 90 about their fan base too, and all this stuff. So it's, it's such a cool thing. So when LAFC came around, they were, they were kind of at that level. And obviously you had Vela and obviously being from LA, you know, the soccer culture over here, but yeah, I think that nobody else has been able to replicate it, but I think that that, because I think that's the problem with MLS too. They try to, it's very cookie cutter. Like they saw what Atlanta did. They saw that blueprint and they're like, Oh, let's try to do this again. Like five more times. You know, they they tried with LAFC. We're almost there, but now LAFC is going through what most teams need to go through, which is a restructuring development phase that, you know, I, I, I think the fans and the media are having a hard time dealing with picking up what you were saying about Atlanta to me is is that when you watch the show Atlanta the Donald Glover series the brilliant Donald Glover series on FX plug right there maybe one day that you know we can get Donald Glover on to talk about (laughs) the game here uh but 
you know, when you if you look closely in the background, when they're in a barbershop, when they're in a supermarket, you see that logo, you see that giant gold A everywhere in the background of scenes in that show. And to me, I thought, well, that's really great marketing on MLS's part, but come to find out that's just the authenticity of these places in Atlanta that they've embraced the game that in, in, in a city, as you said, like that is sort of is confirmation of everything that you're saying. Yeah. Um, just in that alone, like, cause they're filming in real places. They're not really sets on that show. Give or take, you know, a couple things, but you know, they're filming in real barbershops. They're filming in real, you know, bodegas uh, and there there's that logo while MLS is struggling to still find its identity and not hasn't really embraced as we discussed the chaos. Is there something to be said that the fans of this game in America are unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime, because it's still so new but yet it still feels authentic. I think so. I think and there's, and there's a, there's a uh, very tricky slope that I want to do in answering this because I am clearly a Mexican American Mexican national team fan. I don't necessarily identify at all with U S soccer fan bases or even with their national team. I mean, I want them to qualify and I want them to do good for the sake of CONCACAF, but I don't really like identify with the, with the fans, but I do think there's something unique in, when you really meet somebody who embraces it and who really is passionate about the team, about their, their players, about the projects, right. in the good and the bad, because obviously U S soccer has a, a little bit of drama going on in these rest in the uh, past couple years. Um, you know, when it comes to like gender equal pay and all that right. stuff, but I think it goes back to just that, that discussion, right. When it's authentic, it's authentic and it's very well executed, but when it's, it feels like that identity isn't clear you know that's where I think you get lost and I think that that's where you know U.S. soccer as an entity sort of fails you know we've seen it a lot when it comes to like dual nationals right because there's tons of Mexican-American players that have the liberty and the freedom to choose between two national teams and you've seen a lot of them go with the Mexican national team because they feel like they don't really identify with U.S. soccer and I think that that's where you know as a culture the U.S. soccer side has a responsibility to kind of just go, okay, who are we? And let's embrace who we are instead of trying to be something else or whatever it is they're trying to go for. But I think when you really find it and obviously working in this, in the sector for a long time now, at this point, you do meet like those really honest U.S. soccer fans or just, you know, people that work in it. And you really believe in the projects that they're going for because they really believe in them. And I think that that's where, I think that that's where U.S. soccer needs to go. That's the direction that they should be headed in. I couldn't agree more. And again, like, and I think this is why you and I get along, because when it comes to identity of the game, I'm the same way with Italy. I'm the product of immigrants as well. And soccer, it was Italian soccer that I was born watching. You know, it wasn't the U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer got the program was developing as I was a young kid. And by yeah. developing, I mean, like, you know, they, the World Cup 94 obviously was in our backyard and the 1990 World Cup, you got to remember, they had to recruit OJ Simpson to create a music video to get people hyped to watch a game that the whole world was going to watch in Italy in 1990. So that's the interesting thing about U.S. soccer is that I've seen it sort of evolve in the post NASL Pele takeover of the 70s and early 80s so of the late 80s early 90s watching it it's like oh this still feels new and when mls came about they americanized it with the names you know san jose clash and you know new york metro store stars la galaxy now everybody's fc or united it's yo you're you we call it soccer here you know it's okay if you call it soccer and there are some teams that do that and that's great but it goes back to what you're saying about identity and which leads me into my sort of segues into my next question here is that you wanted to create an identity for folks who followed Liga MX, but didn't necessarily read or speak in, in, in Spanish. And you created an English language website to cover Liga MX. You know, tell me about what it was like starting that and covering that here in America. And did you think that people would be interested in it? 
Well, I definitely have to give credit to the pioneers before me because I, I would say I'm part of like the second wave of that English language, you know, Liga Mex Mexican national team coverage um, in English. But uh, it's funny that you say that, right? Because I think all of us generally, um, and I speak about like my colleagues, which is like Tom Marshall, Wieso Vasquez, Cesar Hernandez. I think it was after the 2010 World Cup, you know, when, like you said, right, the soccer culture here in the U.S., and I'm, I mean, I was born in 93. So my era of like soccer is like 2000s, right? Like my era of like soccer culture is the U.S. women's national team winning, you know, Brianna Scurry, goalkeeper, you know, saving that penalty, uh, Brandy Chastain with the obviously the iconic celebration and everything. So that's kind of my era of like, okay, that's what U.S. soccer culture is, right? And then you had like the 2002 World Cup. And as I got older, you got the banter. But soccer, but that's, you know, that's how I kind of grew up when, what exactly is soccer, right? You had these, you had, you had, um, I grew up in Hawthorne, which is kind of close to the airport, but next to us, I guess, as a lower income community, if you will, is called Lenox, California. And that's where we started playing soccer, my brothers and I, and that is all predominantly Mexican, Latin American people. So that's where I started playing soccer. And as we got older, we started playing club soccer, which is obviously here in the U.S., a pay to play system, right? So that's where you start seeing the more high end, you know, white kids playing soccer and you're going out to tournaments and all this stuff. And there was like this, there was like this mix for that as I started getting older and started looking at like colleges and stuff and what I wanted to major in. Cause I wasn't going to be professional by any, by any means, but I was like, okay, I still want soccer in my life and I'm not gonna be able to play it in college because I don't think I'm at that level, but how do I keep soccer in my life? How do, how do I do this? What do I do? And I didn't really wanna be an English major. So I was like, I guess I can write about soccer because that'll keep it in my life. And I really like writing and that's what I wanna do. So I was like, okay, I'll be a soccer journalist. And even that came with its own kind of culture shock, right? Cause I went to USC and I mean, sports crazy, even to this day, it's a very fine institution. But there wasn't a lot of people who also wanted to cover soccer like me. They, they were all football fans or they were American sports fans and they wanted to pursue those things. And so I just kind of, you know, I was thankful enough to find um, professors at my school who in the time of social media and just kind of things rolling around around, you know, like 2010 to about 2014 were like right what you want to write about. Right. We live in this fortunate moment where it's like you start a blog or you do something somebody out there is going to find it. Maybe it won't happen in a day. Maybe it won't happen in a year, but somebody's going to bound to look for it. So I started this blog called Analyzing the Aztecs. And I was like, okay, I'll write about Mexican, the Mexican men's national team in English because I didn't think anybody else was doing it. And so then I made a Twitter account because, you know, long live Twitter and it's, it's powerful way of networking with a lot of different people. Um, you know, I just Googled I've told this story before, but I Googled Mexico World Cup or I searched it in the Twitter search bar. I put Mexico World Cup because I was like, I want to write about Mexico at a World Cup. And funny enough, that was my now colleague um, at that time, ESPN writer Tom Marshall. His <laughs> handle is literally Mexico World Cup. So I found out that there was this entire ESPN writer that was covering the Mexican national team in English. And from there, I found all my other colleagues and I found this large community of people that were also in this uh, kind of conflicting mood of like, I want to help people, whether it's, you know, Mexican born uh, young people that have made their way to the United States and have grown up in the American culture or people like me that were born here in the US but have Mexican parents who love the national team who love everything about Mexican soccer, but we don't necessarily read and write in Spanish. I want to target them. I want to write for them. I want to do stuff for them. And that's where it kind of came about, right? It was it, like you said, it was like this identity that you go, you know what, I really do. And I generally do. I do love the Spanish language commentators, which I imagine for you is all right. There's like, there has to be some like Italian figures out there that you're like, these are legends, right? Oh, but I'm I not mean, yeah, I, you know, Crudelli comes to mind. If you've never heard of Tiziano Crudelli, I mean, I would just Google him right this very second, stop listening to this podcast. I, I, it's it, that, you know how important that is when a host is telling you stop listening and Google Crudelli and you will see this, this man who like, I think every fan aspires to be. Uh, he's an old guy with a mustache who watches, he was an AC Milan pundit in Italy and his reactions to every time there's a goal is the bar none, the best. And this does not, 
mean to like put any disrespect on any of the Latin commentators in America here with the infamous goal celebrate like that is that's historic that is legendary but Crudeli's reactions I mean it's infectious it's it's what you love so yeah I I totally get this and you know that that's like their own blend right that you go that is you that is who you are and that is something that it's not so much that I can't compete with it but that I just don't want to be you know and I think that that's where all the journalists within the English language community um, we actually have a hashtag. It's hashtag LiamX uh, ENG or lag or Liam or hashtag um, EL L three N. So E L T R I E N G, right? And it was like this whole community of people that just wanted to talk about what we talk about, but talk about it in our language, you know. And so I started my blog, and then I ended up working for which what I still do now, Footmex Nation, which is you know the, your your source for Mexican football in English and. Yeah, I mean, it's just that it's just realizing that this is who I am, this is who I want to embrace. And this is who I want, like the next generation of, of, of kids or, or journalists or whoever to understand that there is a way that you can connect both that I think a lot of times, you know, people don't realize is, is possible, because you don't have to do either or, you know, there is a, a good there's a good center somewhere out there and that's what we're definitely still trying to do you know even to this day with the work that we do I love it I love it and this is why I'm so honored to be chatting with you because what you've done is you're carrying a torch and you're lighting it for the people behind you and it's if that's not inspirational enough I'm going to get into another facet of your life that you've written about a bunch I know how stressful it is to be a journalist I also know how 24-7 soccer is, but you have two little added elements to here is you have two children. So one thing that you've often written about and discussed that doesn't get discussed enough in this game, especially when it comes to journalists, is what it's like being a mom covering this game. There's so much travel. There's so many matches. There's so much news. And it's never ending. And you live and breathe this sport 24-7. You know, I'm exhausted and I don't have kids, so I can't imagine what it's like for you. So explain to us what it's like, you know, and how 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 do you do it? Well, my chaos has never really ended. Um, I've also talked I've talked about this a few times. So I actually had my children during my undergrad um, while I was at USC. So um, I think it's a little bit easier now, quote unquote, you know, saying that very lightly, but to be a journalism student is hard. And I always used to tell my, my classmates that like you, I like everybody's always said that like, oh, but you have two children. I'm like, no, but journalism is such a hard thing regardless of any exterior stuff. Because as much as comms majors get like a hard time, like the outside work that we have to do, you know, just like, like it's not even studying, right? Because it was if it was studying, it'd be something completely different. But we actually do legit outside work outside of the classroom. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was just about like time management. It was about the village that helps me be able to do the stuff that I do. So as a college student, it was very hard. But we've always kind of, I think, living in that, I, uh, you know, I know a lot of young parents get a lot of stigma, but I think there's something very special about young parents where we had to deal with so much whether it was emotionally physically financially etc that you go through all this chaos that when you get to a point where it's like okay you don't have homework you only have a job and you only have to pay your bills you don't have to worry about anything else you kind of get into this weird moment of like oh okay it's not as chaotic it still has its own level of craziness but I think I'm in an okay place um but you kind of just it's a lot of compromise you know, it's just the three of us. It's, it is, it's a lot of traveling. So it's a lot, I call it at this point, I call it like my own, my own singular project that I manage on my own. So it's making sure the right person is there to take care of them. It's sending out itineraries legitimately in our family group chat of being like, okay, this is the time I leave. This is the time to get out. Whoever's in charge, please go pick them up at this time. It's leaving a lot of notes. It's a lot of emails, you know, in the time of virtual learning, a lot of zoom calls, um, but yeah, we get through it. We get through it. And, you know, they haven't gotten sick of soccer yet. Um, they do sometimes let me know, like, can we go outside and play? And I'm like, it's cause it's not that important, but you know, there's a champions league game that I have no business watching, but I'm gonna feel weird if I don't watch it. Um, but yeah, we, we have a, we have a fun time. So, you know, they're six and eight now. So for the past six to eight years, 
it's been it's been soccer and whatever else we have going on so they're 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 very very good troops troopers they are the coolest kids in the entire world for dealing with my chaotic life <laughs> you know to the other moms and other parents in the journalism world that deal with you know it's they're troopers and they definitely and they definitely deal with it I definitely deal with it but you I think I made a joke about like a few months ago because somebody made like a tweet where it's like you guys just sit around and watch soccer all day like you guys are so lucky and I'm like well you know there's a few days where you're very sad and you're crying and you're wondering how you're gonna get through all this so just like any moms you know especially during this time of of distant learning and staying at home you know there have been very hard days um but we've all gotten through it. They're, they're very aware of, you know, the mental hurdles that I have to face. They're very, they're very good at communicating their own feelings of what they need or, you know, what they're lacking when it comes to maybe my attention and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a very real, but it's a very, you know, um, progressive thing that the three of us have built for these last couple of years. Unbelievable. You know, um, if you can, and if you're comfortable with it, can you tell me the names of your sons and how they came to be? Oh, yeah, of course. So their names are Jack and Oliver, and um, <laughs> they're actually named after Arsenal players. Um, they're named after Jack Wilshire and Olivier Giroud. So um, Oliver, we call him Ollie, but we also call him Olivier. So he actually answers us when we when we call him Olivier. Um, so, yeah, the the fandom is very strong in this family. <laughs> I love it. I love Now, see, that's something I can you know, I totally embrace and get it. And I, and I think I need to send your son and Nacy Milan kid because his namesake is now, you know, firing goals into, for my team. <laughs> uh, but Amy, you are living proof that your dreams never die with grit and determination and, and also a serious lack of sleep. Let's be honest here. You know, thank you. Oh my God. So I, everybody please listen to this and give it five stars for that, for that statement alone, <laughs> because it's not said enough. You know, moms need more than anything else validation. And I, I really appreciate you including that in this. You're welcome. I mean, you know, it's just like, I remember watching my mom go, through, you know, my dad worked all the time and my mom was, you know, raising three kids on her own. And I don't, I think to this day, I don't think my mom sleeps more than four hours, which you're like, my, you know, you can retire. Your kids are all grown up, married and out of the house now. Do you find time for yourself? So I, we're actually blessed. I guess we're blessed. I think that's the right way to say it, right? In this kind of like new agey look at motherhood. Um, it's still in, it's still very rocky, right? Because you still have like the Instagram moms and you still have the the cookie cutter moms, if you will. No disrespect, you know, no disrespect at all. But then, but there is this very interesting dynamic conversation going on, right? About what self-care is for a mother and what free time is for a mother and identifying outside of just being a mom and all that stuff, which for me is a little bit easier because I do have soccer, um, um, and everything like that to be able to go away when I travel, right? Traveling is not necessarily self-care, but there is that level of being able to exist outside of your children for me. Um, but soccer is a huge part of that. Um, you know, I grew up playing soccer and I continued to play soccer, uh, for a little bit before I got pregnant with my son, when I got, when I was 19 and then kind of, kind of got out of it and then got pregnant again, but it was my second son when I was around like 20, 21, so after the second one was born, I, I kind of just told myself, you know, like, I want to go back to being who I was, quote unquote, right? You're never going to be the same because you're a mom, but you did want to keep some of those aspects of your identity in place. And one of them for me was playing soccer or, or running or just physical activity, because that was just a huge part of, you know, even as a young Mexican daughter or first generation Mexican American daughter, there was these like gender dynamics, right? Where like, you couldn't leave, but your brothers could and all this stuff. So for me, the only way I was allowed to go outside if I, if I told her I was going to go for a run. So there was, there's also that kind of, you know, inside my head association with like running was my way of freedom and physical activity was my way of freedom. So I've started to play soccer. You know, I've been playing soccer now in co-ed leagues and different variations since, yeah, since the kids were around like, you know, for the past, maybe like three to four years. Um, I love to read still. Um, I write, you know, sometimes I write non-soccer things. I like to kind of post those sometimes when I feel that, you know, maybe people will enjoy reading something that has nothing to do with soccer when it comes to me. And 
Um, sometimes I just like to sit in quiet. I actually do. There's this line from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel that somebody says, cause they're about to have their third kid that he's like, you know what my dream is a really quiet house. And so that's one of my things. Um, now here's the million dollar question. Now are your sons fans of the game? So I consider them casual fans and anybody who's in the soccer world knows what that means, right? Those they're, I mean, <laughs> they're six and eight, right? But it's never too late to start, to start pigeonholing or, or judging your children as human beings with their flaws and all. I, I would classify them more as casual fans. Um, we tried playing soccer at different points in their lives. Um, my oldest son has, um, is on the spectrum. He has autism. So we're, we're a little bit more, um compliant or accommodating to him so he hasn't really played on any like official teams but he does love to watch it with me he does love to kick the ball around now as he's getting older and the youngest one tried to play soccer Oliver he tried um he wasn't really about it so I haven't pushed it too much for him either but I've taken them to a few um LA Galaxy games and they they definitely have enjoyed that um I think they I think I took them to an LAFC game before COVID and they enjoyed the the experience they're very much about the fan experience when it comes to when it comes to soccer they're with me at my co-ed league games um every week so they're there and they kind of digest it as much as they can um but they're you know they're they're casual fans I wouldn't say that they're like diehard fans yet but there's always time for for more growth they're very young still I I mean I hope so you know it now, one thing, though, you know, because I'm sure their grandfather is very proud, you know, of that the Club America love is going to continue on for another generation. Have they picked a team? You know, do they say like, hey, or is there a league that they prefer? Like, how casual are we talking about? Because I I know what you're talking about, but even the casual. But I want to just register for the casual listener here. Well, they're casual fans in the respect that they don't have to cheer everything. But if no, they're not allowed to to choose another team. <laughs> they're, they're, they, I can't I can't come home one day and hear my son is going for I don't know just I don't know Spurs or Man City like that would you know I would I would be very sad. I I, I say that and then watch it's going to happen. Um, but I mean, well, what could be worse if they go for City Spurs or if they say like, hey, I'm a Pumas fan or or you know oh well that's that I guess it's fine I, I wouldn't hate if they were like a non I mean as long I guess in that sense as long as they weren't like Chivas fans but I do have a lot of friends who are who are Chivas fans who jokingly will send um me videos or like when they go when the kids go over to their houses they put Ollie in a Chivas jersey and I'm like I mean I, I don't know how I feel about that but it is oh. what it is at this point so that's <laughs> um, see to me like that's hilarious that like you're almost more like, oh, no, you can only be at Arsenal, for, whereas, you know, the bloodline there is for Club America. And yet it's like it's a little bit more relaxed and you're free to choose who you like. I don't know how I feel about it, but you can support who you like in Liga MX. It's OK. Well, the uh, thing about the thing about the Mexican League, too, is that now there's two leagues. Right. So there's the men's league and then there's the Liga MX Feminine, which is the women's side. And I, I've said this before that I do have a particular dedication on the men's side where I don't like support anybody outside of Club America but with the feminine it's just such as it's still new it's not a novelty but it's still growing that I'm just proud of all the teams when they do really well including Chivas Feminine so that's kind of where that you know more laxed approach comes in as well. Sweet you know what does what does Club America represent for you? Um, I, I think winning above all else, but there is also a national team connection to it. So Cuatemo Blanco, which in my opinion is one of the greatest Mexican national team players to ever exist in the world. He's recently gone into politics and all that stuff. He actually played for Chicago Fire. So he's another one of those kind of like MLS sides that when it was kind of growing, right, nobody really knew what to do with it. He decided to join the league and but was very, he didn't necessarily have like the winningest opportunities, but he was very much like, I do this and I represent my country and I'm going to give it as, as much as I can. Um, you know, at that point it was more of like a retirement league, but you know, Cuatemo Blanco played for Club America, Raul Jimenez, who just came back from an injury and is now, you know, obviously one of the, if not the face of Wolves, you know, played for America as well. So there's a lot of legacy behind that too. There's a lot of pride and kind of in connection to this whole thing of like feeling a really emotional um, connection to, to it all. When I was pregnant with my son, Jack, I actually saw America with my dad in, his, in, in one of the rooms here in the house. 
um, come back from from behind. I don't know if you know this, though, but America actually came back in extra time and their goalkeeper, Moises Munoz, scored a goal against Cruz Azul and it went on to to win the the title that that year. Oh, wow. Um, so I watched that um, while I was pregnant with my son and I was like, uh, you know, I was just like filled with emotion of like, man, I love this. I, I love this team. I love this league. And I, and I love the fact that I'm going to share this with this little bean in my belly and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, a lot of it always comes back to like this emotional connection that I have to, to all the teams that I go for. One thing, though, that I also want to discuss real quick about Club America is that and also a lot of other Liga MX teams, we're in an era now that people are buying jerseys, kits, whatever you want to call them, left and right to support the, as the kids say, the drip. Um, but the what's amazing to me is that Liga MX teams have always had some of the best jerseys and Club America and leading the pack, not just being the most winning team in Mexico, but always looking the best on the field in those kits. Like how are you seeing now a rise in the West coast of just people just wearing, you know, those jerseys, like, because they're just so damn good looking. Cause I'm seeing it here in the city where, you know, Venezia in Italy, they did the best marketing campaign the last two years in a row with the Jersey. Oh, yeah. And I'm seeing people whenever I go to Lower East side or whenever I'm in Brooklyn, people are rocking these limited edition Venezia kits. Like they are the rare Jordans. And I, and I'm not, and I don't knock anybody for not knowing anybody on the team. Like, that's awesome that you're supporting a City A team. I don't care how you're supporting a City A team as long as you're supporting a City A team. So is it, is that sort of happening in where, where you're from? Or is it just always so hardcore from the communities that are there that know like this, it's, it's always been like this salad. What are you talking about? Um, I think there's a I think there's a certain level of allegiance when it comes to like those like hardcore fans. But I do think the trend now in general when it comes to soccer, right, is this fashion aspect to it. I mean, in fact, the Mexican national team, uh, I'm sure you've seen it right there, their pink jersey, which yeah. is their which is their home jersey. Got, they got a lot of flack for it. But their approach to it was that, like, how can we turn this jersey into something that people are going to want to wear rather than just as a jersey that you support your national team with, right? And there's so there is a lot of, I mean, we jokingly talk about Arsenal being Vibes FC, right? Because they're like, they constantly come out with merchandise that they know looks good, even if the team is not doing that great, because it, it does become that. It becomes now an aspect of fashion, an aspect of it's not just players wearing the jersey for billboards and stuff right we're gonna have models wearing it with a jean jacket or with something else because it is it's become now like a fashionable approach to it and I think that there is a lot of that I think there's a lot of that when it comes to the manufacturers that are making these jerseys not just um not just like Syria you know but I think with, even with the Liga Mex and everything there is that approach to it right you're gonna have your hardcore fans that are like I'm never gonna put on uh, you know, a Chivas jersey if I'm an America fan or I'll never wear a Chivas jersey if I'm an Atlas fan or anything like that. But even for me, like I mentioned with the Liga MX Femenil, I I see a jersey that they come out with and I want to buy every single one of them. I mean, I won't buy, I still won't buy the Chivas one. And I've told my friends that like, look, you look amazing. It looks brilliant. I'm not buying it. But if I could, I would. <laughs> um, but there, I think there is that approach when it comes to just soccer in general, right? This is more than just supporting your team. This is about how you can support your team and look good at the same time. And I, I do think that there are better. I mean, I really like how how you're 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 kind of like fanboying over the America jerseys because they are great. I do love them, but I think there's some better ones out there when it comes to the Liga MX. Uh, Let's hear them. Circle. I really like. Um, I really like a lot of the stuff that Charlie comes out with recently. Like I, I like their jerseys. Um, I, I, I don't mind Pumas' jersey. I just recently, I, my, one of my brothers just took notice that there's a giant Puma on the front. Yeah, like I he, love it. Like he just like, like we were watching a game maybe like two weeks ago and he goes, oh my God, that's a Puma. I'm like, yes. How have you not noticed that? We've been watching this league for like 20 years. You're just noticing now that it's a Puma. Um, you know, I think recently Leon, we, I went to the Leagues Cup final, their new jersey is kind of cool. I really like theirs. Also, they're like, they have like a retro collared one. That's really cool. Um, you know, so there's, there's definitely some really good ones out, out there in the league MX. but I think for hardcore fans, you keep that allegiance, you keep going. But I think for all the other, for anybody else, that's kind of donning 
um, some new ones. They, you know, they go for that fashionable, fashionable approach and everything but um i want to tie everything that we actually discussed together um into my next segment here which is in america we've seen soccer rise to levels of popularity that has never before seen you know thanks to social media and obviously 24 7 coverage and as you said people just like yourself just being pioneers and starting their own blogs and or websites and then making careers out of it and saying nope this is how i'm going to cover my faction of the game here um, or my little corner of the game. Yet it's always EPL that gets the shine. They're the biggest leagues in the world. You know, the richest, of course. And MLS is promoted as a domestic league. Of course it is. And it should be popular here in America. But for ages, we've had a wonderful and highly underrated league in Liga MX. Why is there a disconnect between Liga MX and U.S. soccer-based fans who are not from the Latinx community? I could, we could have a whole nother hour about this discussion. I think there's so much, this is actually a huge part of my current portion of my job at this point, actually. There's, there's, I think it goes back to, like you said, you know, full circle, going back to this, this issue of identity, right? And I don't just put that on the US market. I also put that on the Mexican market as well, because there's, there's this disconnect, there's this disconnect to build a bridge between the two of them right us us market is like oh we're not mexican we and also there there is like you said there is this kind of tug and pull of like we still want the mls to stay relevant but we want to get some of that capital gain from introducing the league mx right and we kind of just saw that with this newly redefined leagues cup which they're, which they're trying to do for 2023 right it, which is essentially like this mini club world cup so i think there's a lot of tug and pull there where it's like okay we we want to be the big the big team here in the u.s or wherever it is um that they lose kind of they lose themselves in the translation both ways the u.s market thinks just translating something over to spanish is going to connect with the mexican market which it doesn't and the mexican market thinks if they just translate verbatim to english is going to connect to those of us here in the u.s which it doesn't so I think that's what happens a lot. And it also goes into, you know, I think The Athletic actually had this really great article recently about how actually U.S.-based fans, so this is non-Mexican, non-Spanish-speaking fans, are actually tuning in to watch games on Tudene, formerly Univision, because it's easier to watch the games than to trying to go to, like, the three, three or four different streaming services that they're now presenting for World Cup qualifiers, for Champions yep. League, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you, I think that that's where it is right now. It's just, it's, I don't want to call it a mess because I think there's intention in everything that they do and the approaches that they take, but it could be very simple if they just go, okay, we need to get the proper talking heads to do this, right? We need to give the people that have been doing the work the right platform to be able to do it effectively and I, I say that for both ends, you know, if the Spanish market wants to create an English language component, well, then find the right people. And if the English language market wants to find somebody that connects to the Spanish speaking language, but they don't want somebody, and, they, and it can be, I'm not saying that they, that it can't be in terms of somebody that speaks dual languages and has an accent, right? But if you, you know, if you want to create more authenticity, then find somebody that is American based, you know, and there's so many different discussions that can be done about this because, you know, sometimes the Mexican market financially doesn't want to pay in US dollars, right? They want to pay in pesos and the US market will also see that. And so they'll try to go for somebody in Mexico that they can, you know, support a little bit less. So that it's such a, it's such an interesting dynamic, especially when you look into what 2026 inevitably will be, because that is the, that is the finish line for everybody and what they're doing and all the projects that they're working on right now, right? Is how can we turn whatever it is we're trying to do here into something very profitable for all the countries, even Canada, when it comes to 2026. And I think right now, it's just about understanding that they don't know all the answers and finding the right people to have those answers, you know, and there's a lot of them. And I think that once you get that fusion going and you do it, like we've mentioned a lot of times in this conversation with authenticity, with the right intention and with actual belief that you're giving the, these people the right amount of, of promotion and amplification, I think you can get something very powerful. 
we we have a growing league and MLS is still you know doing its thing as you said we're trying to figure out what it is but there's such an established league right in Mexico that is wonderful and brilliant and and a beautiful showcase of talent and the Mexican people that I like how it's astonishing to me that it's not bigger it should be you know i i should also be- the number the numbers consistently prove that fact too right when it comes to u- viewership here in the us it's not champions league it's not the epl it's the lemx that is consistently yes. blowing everybody out of the water yeah we've definitely discussed internally or just like within our own community right why is it that we don't but i think it becomes it goes back to like this cookie cutter aspect right so like mexican teams who want to connect to the us fan base need to understand that somebody living in California is very different than a potential fan that's living in New York or is living in Kansas, you know, and it's, it's about doing that extra work. It's about understanding that just like what we're doing. I mean, it's Hispanic heritage month, right. And we've been talking about this entire discourse of like, we're not, we're not a monolith. We're more than just Latin Latinx. We are so many different things and we're consisting of so many different aspects of, everything when it comes to location our heritage all of that and I think that that's where the disconnect happens is that they there has to be a willingness to understand and once you understand you're able to connect to that person and create this honest approach to having your you know not to get too corporate but to have your brand recognized and recognized in like a really honest way absolutely you know um as you've discussed too here uh, and again, you and I are very similar in that aspect where it's the teams of our heritage are the national teams that we're cheering for. And this is no disrespect to Team USA. Um, I, of course, will cheer for the Team USA women's team actually more than the men's. Um, I'll wave their flag super high, you know, and uh, support any cause that that they do because they always consistently throughout my entire life have just been a phenomenal players of this game. But the men's team, you know, you connect with El Trey, I connect with Azuri. But what is, you know, what has it been? It's been a little different for you than it has been for me with the Azuri because of tensions here in the U.S. You know, what is it like supporting that team in the last few years as the tensions among the U.S. and Mexican governments have kind of escalated? It's it's having a lot of, well, how do I say this? It's having discussion with people who I guess want to have discussions, right? Because I think when the 2016 election happened, there was, I think, I don't know if you remember this, Sal, there was that that moment before the US-Mexico came where they all took a picture together, right? And that was obviously it's supposed to be a very clear statement of like, we're more than what this person who's now in the highest position in the country believes what Mexicans are, right? I think that was one of his opening statements, just full on talking crap about Mexicans. Yeah. Uh, um, so there was that approach, but I think there are also moments within this rivalry. And I, like I mentioned, my, I was very young when 20, when 2002 happened, but if you look at the soccer culture between the two countries for the, you know, in those early 2000 years before the internet really took off, it was still hindered in a lot of racism. You know, it was still hindered in a lot of discrimination and those approaches of, of banter in the wrong way. I mean, if anybody doesn't remember, Landon Donovan once did a commercial where he was doing a not so you know nice thing um, involving border patrol, if you will, right? And uh, so I think now as we shift into this era of understanding that you know Mexican Americans specifically are this mixture and people are free to choose which national team they want to represent, I think you're getting a lot a lot healthier discourse in that aspect, but those microaggressions still exist. And as someone who exists between the two realms, right? Cause I think even, I think even my, in my time, there are those still those people that are like, oh, I can't stand the MLS or, you know, I'll never watch the MLS. It's all Liga MX. We're the best league in North America and et cetera, et cetera. I think people like me and people that embrace both leagues are able to have healthy discussions where you go, you know, Liga MX fans, we're not the greatest. And we definitely have some weird moments where we can kind of tone it down a lot. And MLS fans, you know, you don't have to make a point to talk about what color we are or something, you know, when it comes to these matches. Um, So there is, I think there's something very, and I say this not necessarily in a positive way, but there is something very special about US-Mexico rivalry, especially for those of us that kind of exist between the two borders. 
when it comes to understanding, um, you know, kind of like these aggressions between both sides. And um, like you said, when it comes to political tensions, when it comes to, you know, socioeconomic tensions, whatever it, it may be, um, you know, it is a very interesting dynamic, especially, you know, I would say I'm more on the, you know, when it comes to the spectrum, I would say I'm less, I'm less equipped to talk about it because I do choose one national team, right? I, I said it earlier. I don't, I, I've never identified and never actually root for the u.s men's national team i mean if they're losing and like they like they failed to qualify for the world cup a few years ago i was upset because i'm like as a rival you're supposed to be to your highest potential how do you not qualify for the world cup right but it wasn't something that i'm like i'm gonna wear a u.s jersey you know i mean i think there are those those dual nationals that wear both and wear them with a lot of pride um, and I'm very, I'm always very interested to hear their stories because I can't identify with that. You know, oh, I go, I could, yeah, I agree. I'm like, I could never, I just, I like, I, I can't even think of that. Like there is not a single U.S. soccer jersey within my vicinity that I would ever think, you know what, that's not a bad jersey. I want to wear that. Um, even with the women's side, because I think there's something, there's also, there's also something very interesting about the women's side, you know, because you do, you just like support them and you want them to do well. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting place to be and um it definitely comes with interesting discussions when you try to make u.s soccer fans understand like hey you know what you said the other day that wasn't okay and they're like well what do you mean and you know and even mexico-based fans because as mexican americans we get a lot of heat sometimes from whether it's supporting what they call moleros because we cut we go to every game that's here in the u.s and oh that's the reason that mexico doesn't get any better because they're always playing games in the u.s and if they just you know actually face serious teams we would be better in world cups etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's an interesting dynamic it's definitely a it's it definitely creates a lot of interesting discussions time and time again <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's something that you know, I, I sat and watched Mexico play Ireland at MetLife Stadium in the summer of 2017. Um, and it was a phenomenal match. And I've sat, went with friends of mine who were Irish, who are Irish, then they're still alive, um, but who are Irish. Uh, and we sat in the Irish supporter section and the Irish sort of like, you know, they, hey, we know we're going to lose, but we're here for fun. Let's have a great night. And that's it. And the Mexican fan base was basically encompassed this massive football stadium outnumbered the Irish fans. And it was amazing to witness because the Mexican national fans treated it as if it was a world cup final. It was unbelievable. And I was in my element because I'm, I'm just taking it in as a neutral and I'm enjoying every minute of it. But you know, and, you know, Chicharito and Rafa Marquez were playing and it was, it was just phenomenal. And Ochoa, of course, you know, who I've said to you how much I adore that man. But, you know, it was, it was amazing to witness because it was, it reminded me of what it would be like whenever I see the Azzurri play a friendly match in Italy on television. I've never actually sat in a stadium and watched. But the fans of the Azzurri and El Tre are kind of very similar. And, you know, I'm bringing that into this conversation because it all feels similar to me. And there is, you know, because I, you know, we're trying to bridge that gap with City on America now and they're doing that, you know, in steps. But it is interesting to seeing like what, how hardcore the El Trey fans are. And I, and I love it. It is, it is what it encompasses the spirit of the game, both good and bad, because, you know, there were homophobic slurs that were said, you know, whenever the goalie of the opposition team kicks the ball and that's not cool. And I don't like that. Yeah. And that's definitely, it definitely goes into that discussion, right. Where you have this discourse where it's like, it's not either or right. Where it's like, you're pointing the finger at stuff like, you know, like within the Mexican culture, we're having discussions within each other because you do have those fans are like, it's not a big deal. And so you have that disconnect and that's not to excuse them at all. Right. But you have to have that discussion about um, about connotation and about literal translations. And it's like something that they just don't understand or like at one point they just don't want to understand. Right. But it's just having that conversation of like, look, we're in a very interesting spot where, you know, where we are. We're probably one of the only countries that has to have these discussions about what these words mean, because we do intertwine ourselves so much. U.S. and Mexico are intertwined for better or worse. So even if you don't think that it means something, and even in Mexico, you know, Mexican born 
uh, natives are like, hey, that's a that's not a good word, right? That we're having those discussions and we have to have those discussions. And those of us who who are Mexican American or can or can speak for Mexican people and can speak to the defense of maybe more U.S. media who who also um, see a problem with it, which there is a problem with it, right? You but you're able to have you're able to be that that medium ground in, in understanding that aspect. And even what you said, Sal, right? Like you've never actually watched Italy play in person. I think that also goes into what it means to be here in the U.S. and and be able to watch Mexico. I've never seen Mexico play at the Estadio Azteca in my entire life. That's one of my dreams, just to actually oh go to Mexico oh. and watch the national team. But as much as people like to, you know, kind of crap on the fact that, oh, we go to every single friendly or, or we do every single thing. I mean, there's a game coming up in Charlotte. How often does a Mexican in Charlotte who might've migrated there or might've been born here in the US but lives in Charlotte get to watch the Mexican national team? Hardly ever. So of course they're gonna go to that game because they want to support the national team that they feel so connected to. Like if, if you know, it was like if Italy played a friendly in New York, how quickly would you have bought that ticket? <laughs> Are you just getting it? emotional thinking about it? I think that's what a lot of, I think that's what maybe specifically as we're getting to the topic, right? U.S. soccer fans yeah. don't understand is that we don't get this all mm-hmm. the time. We don't get to experience our actual quote unquote team. Yes, we live here in the U.S. and and we appreciate, I guess, living in this country and the and the privileges that come with it. But, you know, our hearts belong to somewhere else that our parents might have brought into our lives or are is in our blood. And I think that that's what that's what soccer is all about, right? Is eventually getting to that point where you kind of feel like this imaginary idea of home you can get back to when it comes to your national team. Oh, Amy, like I, man, I want that tattooed on my body. That's all I've ever wanted out of this game was what you just said. And it's, and it's been, it's been interesting being, you know, of a different heritage, you know, I, I know my heritage, I can trace it back to a place, you know, and I know where my dad comes from, and I know where my grandparents come from. And that doesn't mean that I don't love where I live, you know, it's America's a land of opportunity, there's a reason why we're here, but who I am, you know, and I look at this sport as a way to find identification. Yeah. And, you know, what you just said is so poetic and beautiful that I can't, think of any other way to just close out the main portion of the than this than what you just said because I want to end on that note but there is another segment to the podcast now time for a coffee break Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City but you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com Mod Cup drink modern coffee Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. I'm asking every, every person I interview the same three questions at the very end. Cool. And you can answer however you like. Okay. So question number one, if you can bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, and please specify the club, or it could be all of your clubs, who would it be and why? Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um... I think I would, does it have to be in there? Or no, because you said alive or dead. So it, it has to, it, okay. I would, I would take, I would take prime Guatemo Blanco and I would want to see what he does with Arsenal just because I found him to be a very special player, but he's still alive. So I'm saying prime Guatemo Blanco at Arsenal and see what he could do. Um, yeah, I think that would be my answer for the first one. All right. If your club now is- Specify which one or ones could sign one player today. Who would it be and why? Oh, um, you could ask. No, I'm going to say you could ask me this like two seasons ago, but I think I'll still stick with the answer. I would love to see Raul Jimenez at Arsenal. I mean, I don't know how I think that would involve Alba having to leave. I'm not sure, but I would want to see that happen at, at some point because we haven't seen a Mexican at Arsenal in a very long time. I think that was the last one. So I would love to see a Mexican at Arsenal again. So I'll go Raul at Arsenal. Plus, like Raul would basically be the poster child of how the Arsenal can pick themselves up after coming off an injury like he had and still being able to be the amazing player that he is. 
if the rest of that locker room doesn't get inspired to want to just win something for him, I, I, you know, I don't, I, 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 and then there's no help for Arsenal at that point. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, ah, yeah. I think they, I think they're a little bit striker heavy and uh, you know, and all that, but I, I, like two seasons ago, I know there were like potential rumors of him, but I would love to see that happen. Just, it would be a dream of mine. Yeah. All right. Let's manifest it now. And the final question here is what was, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? Um, Mexico, uh, this is, this feels so cheesy, but uh, Mexico versus Germany. I was in Russia when that happened. So that's definitely. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got to tell <laughs> us about that experience. You can't just throw that out. There. You got to tell us about this. Yeah. So, um, and that was actually, I, I don't want to get into a tangent because I know we're closing the pod, but uh, you know, like we're talking about this kind of like disconnect between right team, like saving money and the financial things. Right. I actually got to experience the 2018 before world cup in Russia for work purposes, you know, and obviously I saved a little money in between all that too, but even those Mexican fans that you see there are usually more wealthy fans that have the ability to travel to, uh, to the other car- side of the country and, and support the national team. Right. So um, my first, my first world cup ever. And, you know, you're facing off against Germany. You've never, you know, Mexico has never beaten them in an international competition before. So there's so much underdog narratives happening there. And yeah, I was in Moscow and I was there the entire time. And I watched, you know, Chucky score. I watched Hector Herrera steal the ball. I watched Chicharito maintain the ball. I watched him pass the ball to Chucky and, and score that goal. And, you know, I, I know, I know during COVID it got like oversaturated. Cause like every other day they were just playing the Mexico Germany game to get viewership on all the different platforms, but it's, it feels like such a big basic answer, but it was such a feeling to be there and, and see that happen. And like we've mentioned before in this conversation, you know, knowing that it was actually father's day too, that day, um, it was a Sunday. So to know that I was I might have not been with him, but to know that we were watching this historic moment together in different parts of the world with my dad, who gave me the love of soccer, was was absolutely amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Amy, I wouldn't have traded this for anything else. Like this has been <laughs> such—I don't mean that. Like this has been such an amazing conversation. I can talk to you literally for like ten more hours, um, <laughs> but you don't have the time, and that's okay, and that's totally cool. But I'm so honored and. I'm just so excited to have you on. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for everything. No, thank you. So it's been a, it's been definitely a refreshing conversation. So hopefully we do this again soon. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.